0: Hey, good morning, New Life Manitou. It's such a gift and privilege to like, be up here and with you guys. So thank you for being here. It's beautiful outside. It's a winter wonderland. And so let's preach quick so we can get home before the winter storm, right? Um, let's, let's, uh, let's pray as we begin. Jesus, you are here in this place, and we were not aware of it. And uh, we ask that you would come and speak right now because your servants are listening We pray this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen and amen. Um, Nearly 20 years ago, the Fellowship of the Ring was released into theaters nearly twenty years ago. I remember going to see it with my uh, family, and my um, which included not uh, not least of all my grandfather. Um, and we used to go to the movies w- with him a lot, and so it was just kind of typical sort of thing. Um, he loved going to the movies, but he did not love Fellowship of the Ring. Um, he there was just like too much going on. There was like elves and orcs and dwarves. And wizards and weird names, and good gra- by the end, like, I think he had just like. Walked- Watched the movie's opening, and he was like, no, this isn't for me. Um, it was just too much in general. Um, and that's the way that Revelation, I think, feels at uh, this point. We're going to be in Revelation 15 and 16 today. So go ahead, and lo- go ahead and load it up on your phones. There are Bibles in the baskets around the room. If you don't have a Bible and you want that one, take it home with you like it's our gift to you. Um, yeah, we are in Revelation. It's at the very end of the Bible. Uh, Revelation 15, we're two-thirds of the way through the book of Revelation, and it feels a little like my grandfather with Fellowship of the Ring. It's like we're just like losing our grip or something. We're just like, oh, it's about to get away from me. So let's tell. Someone time me. Let's tell the story of Revelation in miniature, okay? Let's catch us up to where we are right now. Somebody time me and go. Um, Chapter 1 of Revelation, John sees Jesus. And Jesus addresses seven churches in chapters two and three, and then gives John a vision of heaven. It'll be right up here on the screen in just a second. Um, he gives John a vision of heaven where John sees a scroll in the hand of the one on the throne, and it's a really important scroll, if you remember, it's it's picking up a, a plot thread from the book of Daniel. And this scroll tells us how God is going to save the world. It tells us about God bringing his kingdom to the, it's really important. If you, if you hadn't noticed, watch the news, check the headlines, the world needs saving. How's God going to do it? Um, And John um, is concerned. He has a nervous breakdown in uh, like, verse six of chapter five, because in the middle of heaven, he has a nervous breakdown because nobody can open the scroll. It is perfectly sealed. It's got seven seals on it. But then he's told that Jesus can open the scroll. The slaughtered lamb standing at the heart of heaven's throne can open the scroll. Jesus will show us how God is going to save the world. And so he begins by confronting Everything that is blocking God's purpose it's a son of a gun to open, we've said. It's breaking off these seals. He's got to confront it. And heaven promises in chapters eight and nine promises to um, answer all of the cries for justice in the world, all of the cries for rescue. But a problem emerges, I don't know if you remember, God's plan to rid the world of evil, and uh, He plans to rid the world of evil. and yet... The people that he loves in the world will not let go of evil. The evil that he has to destroy, they will not repent, is what it says at the end of chapter 9. To save the world, God must destroy sin, but God also wants to save sinners. And the sinners that God loves won't let go of sin. So how will God save the world? Re-enter the scroll from stage left. It comes back in in chapter 10, and John shares his trippy dream. He is invited to eat. The scroll, he's, he's invited to eat it, get it inside of him so that he can tell us how God is going to save the world. And the answer to how God is going to save the world emerges from chapter 11 onward. The answer is God will send in the church. Is the, the uh, Chapter 11 starts telling the story of the church as two witnesses whose lives make visible the love of the lamb. And they're Faithfulness to the Lamb, their love willing to bleed changes the story. The world begins repenting, is what we saw in chapter 11, verse 13. It's like a tightly constructed little thing right there. And then John has like continued to zoom in on this story of the faithful church changing the world by following the Lamb, and he shifts the imagery. In chapter 12, he starts describing the people of God as like a woman, a dazzling woman who's hunted by a beastly dragon, and the dragon cannot completely destroy the people of God. And so at the end of chapter 12, it says that the dragon is going to wage war on Christians, is what it says, on those who follow Jesus. And how does the dragon wage war? We heard Joe talk about it last week. The dragon wages war through two. Beasts. These beasts, they, um, they seem to represent things not just like in the past, but like in the present, in the future. It's the pattern of how the enemy of God wages war against the people of God and against the whole world. And he does it through corrupt power systems of humanity. Things like governments and economies and religion and society in general, you name it. When human systems of power go completely off the rails and start dominating with violence or coercing with threats. They have become beastly. It's another image from the book of Daniel. And the question facing the people of God is, are you going to give ultimate allegiance to human power systems that are bullying and beastly and awful to political candidates or even economic theories or systems? Or are you going to keep following the lamb wherever he goes? Are you going to pledge allegiance to Jesus above everything else? And that's what happens in chapter 14, Uh, the gap of what we've skipped over. um, uh, We see that the The people of God find themselves harvested from the earth. They are trampled outside of the city, just like Jesus. They have followed him wherever he goes, and a river of their blood flows for 1,600 stadia, like some 200 miles is the imagery of this. How was it? Did someone time it? Five Five minutes in Revelation, that's pretty good. Okay, 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 okay. And so that brings us up to our passage for today. We doing okay? We doing okay? We have to set the context for because Revelation is telling a story. It's all kinds of imagery and symbols. And I wish I knew a better way to preach through Revelation, but it's a bit like Lord of the Rings. You gotta just like dive into the story. You gotta embrace it. It's one of those books of the Bible that doesn't chop up very well. You gotta embrace all the strange names and the weird imagery and the, the bizarre moments that are happening and the way things unfold. So uh, now, chapter 15, the people of God have been trampled by the beasts. They have been killed. They followed the lamb outside the city and had their blood shed. Chapter 15, verse one. Then I saw another great and awe-inspiring sign in heaven. There were seven angels with seven plagues, and these are the last, for with them God's anger is brought to an end. Then I saw what appeared to be a sea of glass mixed with fire. Those who gained victory over the beast, its image. Hold on. Those who had gained victory over the beast, its image. That's how chapter 13 ends. The the beast was threatening They gained victory over him and its image and the number of its name. They were standing by the glass sea, holding harps from God. They sing the song of Moses, God's servant, and the song of the Lamb, saying, great and awe-inspiring are your works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, King of the nations. Who won't fear you, Lord, and glorify your name? You alone are holy. All nations will come and bow down in worship before you for your acts of justice have been revealed. And so chapter 15 begins with the people of God on the other side of a sea. Does that sound familiar? They pass safely across a sea and they are singing the song of Moses. If that sounds like Exodus 14 and 15, it should. They're singing like a new Exodus kind of song. They are safe now from every Pharaoh, every dragon, every beast. And more than just being safe from the powers of darkness, they have actually won victory over the powers of darkness. And they did that with their death. By following the lamb and becoming like the lamb, their lives looked like a big fat failure. <laughs> They've been trampled outside the city, but that is actually how they crossed the sea. That's how they, they gained victory. They had to pass through fire is what they had to do. And there's to, two noteworthy things before we keep going into chapter 16. Um, there's two noteworthy things about their song. First, they are singing about hope. They're singing hope. Last I checked, Guys who just got trampled outside the city and been killed by the beasts. The world was ruled by said beasts. But that doesn't stop the people of God from singing. They sing, verse 4, they sing, uh, Good grief, who could possibly resist glorifying you, Lord? Everyone's going to. All nations. How many nations? All nations are going to come and fall down in worship before you. Those who follow Jesus hope for the rest of the world, just so you know. We're we're not the club saying we've got it and we've got hope for us. No, the church is the repository of hope for the rest of the world. We gaze at the cross of Jesus. We see the kindness and goodness of a God that would rather die for us than kill us. And we are so optimistic that this God is going to save everybody he possibly can I get an amen? amen? Amen. Two, they are singing not just about hope, they're singing about justice. Did you notice that? At the end of verse four, they're singing about God's dikayamata. Dikayamata is what they're singing about. His just and his good and his healing decisions. It's like a courtroom decision kind of word. Um, Keep that in mind. The saints are singing about justice for all that comes next. Verse 5. After this, I looked and the temple in heaven was open. That is the tent of witness. Side note, it's the tabernacle tent of witness. They've crossed the sea, they're safe. And what do they find on the other side of the, the sea? They find the tabernacle. That's just interesting. Um, and, the, and it was opened. It's like this heavenly tabernacle. And seven angels who have um, who have the seven plagues came out of the temple. They were clothed in pure bright linen and had gold sashes around their waist. Then one of the four living creatures gave the seven angels seven gold bowls, full of the anger of the God who lives forever and always. The temple was filled with smoke from God's glory and power, and no one could go into the temple until the seven plagues of the seven last angels were brought to an end chapter 16, verse 1. Then I heard a loud voice from the temple say to the seven angels, go and pour out the seven bowls of God's anger on the earth. So the first angel poured out his bowl on the earth and a nasty and terrible sore appeared on the people who had the beast's mark and worshiped its image. The second angel poured his bowl into the sea and the sea turned into blood, like the blood of a corpse. And every living thing in the sea died. The third angel poured his bowl into the rivers and springs of water and they turned into blood then I heard the angel of the waters say you are just holy one who is and was because you have given these judgments they poured out the blood of saints and prophets and you have given them blood to drink they deserve it that it actually literally says they are worthy. And it's a call back to chapter three, verse four, where one of the churches is worthy of what they're getting. Um, they are worthy. And I um, heard, this is like a fitting thing to happen. And I heard the altar say, yes, Lord God Almighty, your judgments are true and just. Again, whatever is happening here is about justice. Righteousness is what some of your translations say. Um, it's about the right thing winning. That's what all of this is about. Verse eight, the fourth angel poured out his bowl bowl on the sun and it was allowed to burn people with fire. The people were burned by intense heat and they cursed the name of the God who had power over these plagues, but they didn't change their hearts and lives and give him glory. The fifth angel poured out his bowl over the beast's throne and darkness covered its kingdom. People bit their tongues because of the pain and they cursed the God of heaven because of their pains and sores, but they didn't turn away from what they had done then the sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river euphrates its water was dried up so that the way was ready for the kings of the eat from the east then i saw three unclean spirits like frogs come out of the dragon's mouth and the beast's mouth and the mouth of the false prophet that's actually the land beast has gotten renamed right here it's the support system for the first um, for the first beast these are demonic spirits that do signs. They go out to who? They go out to the kings of the earth to gather them for battle on the great day of God, God the Almighty. Look, I am coming like a thief. Favored are those who stay awake and are clothed so that they don't go around naked and exposed to shame. The spirits gathered them at a place that is called in Hebrew... Armageddon. Then the seventh, there's no break right here. It just keeps going. Then the seventh angel poured his bowl into the air, like into the space between heaven and earth, like everything else. And the loud voice came, from, and a loud voice came from the temple, from the throne saying, it is is done. There were lightning strikes, voices, and thunder, and a great earthquake occurred. The earthquake was greater than any that have occurred since there um, have been people on earth. The great city split into three parts, and the cities of the nations, the nations' cities, fell God remembered Babylon the Great so that he gave her the wine cup of his furious anger. Every island fled and the mountains disappeared. Huge hailstones weighing about 100 pounds came down from heaven on people. They cursed God for the plague of hail because the plague was so terrible. And all God's people said, (sighs) (laughs) This is some of the hardest stuff in Revelation. Um, What is going on? I I needed to frame the whole book for you because in the grand narrative that is the book of Revelation we're hitting a climactic moment right here. This is the moment about two-thirds of the way through this is the moment where Luke Skywalker is beginning to fly down into the Death Star Trench okay? This is the moment where Aragorn is like clinking swords and he's calling the armies of men stand and fight! This is the moment when the Avengers are battling to save New York. This, this is, it looks, it looks something like this. I I don't see how that's a party. Dr. Banner, now might be a really good time for you to get angry. That's my secret, Captain. I'm always angry. don't we? We just like, you see at the theater, yes! Yes! We don't think, oh man, I really feel bad for the giant flying space worm that the Hulk just like got angry and Hulk smashed. No, we literally are, yes! Do some more! Yes! In this moment, we have no qualms about anger, Right? If you have seen the Marvel movies, the saga that is them, you know that Bruce Banner can be like a scary character and he struggles with like anger issues. But here, this is the moment where like it pays off and we're like, yes, I have no problem with his anger right now because he is angry about the right things. He's angry at the giant flying space worm and the rest of this alien army that is threatening humanity. In his anger, Hulk smashes it and we cheer, right? Right. It will help if we recognize that the same sort of thing is happening here in two thirds of the way through the book of Revelation. The narrative tells us God is angry, about the right things and he is smashing evil is what he's doing here that's what you've got seven bowls of holy hulk smash just being poured out on on the earth is what it says in verse one. But like, we need to remember that the, the word earth here, in uh, the way it's functioned, if you look at it in the book of Revelation, the word earth is not like flowers and fields and like, this is my father's world kind of like um, earth. Uh, the word earth or phrases like the kings of the earth is they function as kind of like a shorthand if you follow through the sophisticated masterpiece that is Revelation. Earth functions as like the system that is at war against heaven, that is against life, against love, against light. Um, The first four bowls show uh, God smashing earth in this system. And they echo the, um, the first four trumpets, actually. I don't know if you remember that the trumpets got sounded and it's against earth and salt water and fresh water and even the heavens. That is, that's pretty comprehensive. And that's exactly what's happening here, except on like, let's turn it up to 11. Let's complete the job here in the bowls. It's still it's still highly symbolic, is what's going? It's still Exodus imagery, is what's happening here, and that beca- and, but it becomes really clear that this is not against flowers and fields in my precious father's world, um, the beautiful world that we love. This is against evil. That becomes really clear in the fifth bowl. If you didn't notice, because in the crosshairs of the fifth bowl, it gets poured out. Where did you notice? Can you over the beast's throne? The beast who's like embodying evil and wickedness. And the the sixth bowl keeps up the Exodus imagery with like disgusting, like frog-like spirits that are like lurching out of the mouths of the dragon. And it's two beasts, the the false prophet. And the these giant systems are got disgusting. One one scholar said it's almost pornographic is like what, what he's aiming for here. It's just disgusting disgusting, coming out to deceive the whole earth, is what it says in verse 14, to gather them in rebellion against God. That is what the dragon, the enemy of God always wants, is to gather God's beloved creation against him. To turn them. And it, they do so in a place called Armageddon. It's, it's a Hebrew word. It's the only place in Revelation where this word shows up, and it literally just means the mountain of Megiddo, is what it means, and it's a. Uh, if you follow, if you follow the um, the threads of it, it's actually a place that gets mentioned a few times in the Old Testament. It's a place where like several significant battles took place for the like turning points for the people of God. And John says that place. Let's tap into that place as a symbol, and I'll use it as an image, a symbol of the great confrontation that takes place where God gets angry and punches evil like in the mouth. But did you notice, as we read it, there is no great battle at Armageddon. There's no battle at all. There is no battle of Armageddon in the book of Revelation. Period. People gather, the imagery is people gathering against God, but then like a seventh bowl just gets poured out like immediately into the space between heaven and earth. That's like uh, in some of Paul's letters, you'll hear like prince of the power of the air, like this is the space between heaven and earth that's ruled by all kinds of things that are not God. And the bowl gets poured out on them. And then immediately every city Every tower of Babel, every Jericho, every false kingdom, the great city is what it says in verse 19, just falls. They just collapse. Evil just like, whew, like chaff in the wind. Just evaporates. There is no epic clash between good and evil in Revelation, because evil is a, um, it is a negation. It's, it's, it's not real substance. It was never there in the first place. It's just like a hole in the shirt and suddenly the hole just like comes together and the whole thing's bad. Like it's, the, the victory is absurdly one-sided in the book of, it's like just one giant punch to the face of the beast all because of God's anger. And unlike Bruce Banner, God is, the God of infinite love that we see revealed in Jesus, he does not have anger issues. And some of you need to lean in right now to what I'm about to say. He is not, God is not a slave to his passions. God is not at the mercy of his emotions. God does utterly and infinitely love his creation and he is angry at evil that is wreaking havoc on it, but he's not a slave. This this anger serves him. It's not the other way around. God is against evil because God is for goodness. Do you hear me? God is against death because God is for life. And so the picture here, as Revelation climaxes in its seven bowls of anger, of wrath, of orge, is Let's be clear what wrath is. Divine wrath is divine love burning away death. That is what wrath is. God is love. That's what the scriptures tell us. He is love. It's like the essence of who God is. It's the fabric that God's made of. Love is like elemental to God. There's nothing more foundational. There's nothing beneath love. Love is eternal. It's always been. It's always will be. It's flowing between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Um, I don't exactly know how that works or what that means, but I confess it and I believe it to be true. God is relationship and love at his core. God is not wrath. He, God is love. There was never a time when love was not. There was, will never be a time when God, when love will not be. Wrath, on the other hand, is a temporary thing. It's a temporary thing. Wrath is not eternal. Anger is not elemental to who God is. It hasn't always been. It won't always be. Love and wrath are not like equal and opposite inside of God. It's not like a a yin and a yang or something. You... Can't get beneath love, but you can get beneath wrath. Underneath divine wrath, humming under its hood, pop, the, you find divine love. Wrath is a form of God's love. Wrath is what God's love looks like when it's doing painful, hard impossibly difficult sorts of things like moving mountains, punching beasts in the mouth, overthrowing tyranny, destroying evil. Joy and I have two girls. Um, They're almost five and four. And there is never, ever, ever, though I am wicked, there is never a time um, when I do not love them. When I do not love them deeply and passionately. Um, and their favorite kind of experiences of my love are when we're playing or laughing or exploring or snuggling. That is their fa- But there was this moment last week when um, I watched with my own eyes, um, I watched from the other room, one of the girls walked up to the other girl and shoved her to the ground just for the sake of it. Just because that's what you, I just wanted to try it out. And do you know what I, what I felt at that moment? I got angry. <laughs> and it's not separate, it's not separate from my love. It's out of my, precisely because I care about Both of these girls. I'm protective about the one who got shoved. I want her to be physically safe, but I'm also fiercely jealous for my sweet little shover. The one who's shoved like that's no, that's not that's not her truest self. That's not like who God made her to be. That's not who she's going to be one day by grace. And so in the minutes that followed that, um, my love, they experienced as wrath. <laughs> like one of them did. <laughs> they experienced as like, oh my goodness, what, what's going on? Because I've got to address that behavior. I've got that dark impulse in your heart. I've got to it. Every parent in the room can resonate. Um, And every parent in the room also knows that we don't always get it right, do we? Gosh, I wish I could. But like we don't always like, sometimes I end up trying to like address my child's dark impulses and I end up at the mercy of my own dark impulses. Like I'm like, oh gosh, I like that wasn't, the anger wasn't pure. It wasn't completely right. Um, my, My anger is imperfect because my love is imperfect. But here's the thing, not so with God. God, the endless God of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, love, eternal, endless, elemental, flowing between them, God is perfect. And so whatever it means, it is a tricky thing. We could have coffee and talk about it for a long time, but whatever it means that God gets angry. And that is the biblical imagery. We should not shy away from it and say, oh no, we're not going to talk about that. But God's wrath means that God's love has flared up fiercely and is going to address the darkness within the world that he loves. God's wrath is what it looks like. Yeah, I mean, we could say it this way. God's wrath is God's love aimed at deep healing by killing sin, That is what God's um, wrath is. It is God's love heats up to like a blistering vintage so that he can kill the disease of sin and death within us. Chemotherapy actually gives us a really decent picture of uh, what this is. Chemo is medicine that feels like wrath. It feels terrible. It's medicine that is doing impossibly hard very difficult, going deep, burning away sickness, but it is also making health possible. The point of chemo is not to kill someone. The point of chemo is to save. So too, with the painful love of God that we call wrath of God. Any and every time that we pop the hood of divine anger, we find God's love is the engine humming underneath it. God is committed. Hear this. God is committed to your good in ways that you cannot see or recognize. He is committed to it. Fiercely. God's love is working for our good even when it has to burn through the darkness that we cling to, even when we are resisting His love, even when His love feels like hell. It is God's love that we are experiencing. Think about it. There's a whole lot, if this helps, there's a lot in this world that needs smashing. Like, picture human trafficking as a giant flying space worm. (laughs) And human trafficking needs to be punched in the face. It needs to be replaced. It needs to be destroyed, smashed, and replaced with forgiveness and friendship. Friendship and genuine human relationships. Picture systems of racism that have embedded their way into like institutions or even like our hearts. They need to be punched in the face and smashed so that they can be replaced with systems that are truly just, justice and mercy and respect for everything. Think about the pornography industry and the way that it like gets its hooks into even us here in the room and it needs to be punched in the face so and lustful thoughts smashed even within us so that true intimacy and true relationship and true life can flourish. Picture any kind of addiction that you may have struggled with. Picture resentment. Picture corruption. Picture greed. It all just needs to be Hulk smashed in the face. It needs to be crucified so that it needs to die so that cosmic Easter can come into this world and can grow in every one of our lives. And that is the glorious good news of the seven bowls of wrath is that Jesus gets angry enough to allow his crucifixion to spill out into the rest of earth, into every place there is evil and to destroy what needs to be destroyed. Not because he hates the world, but precisely because he loves the world. Not because his wrath isn't because he hates you. It's precisely because he loves you. Even here, as we're winding down, even here in the book of Revelation, it's such an intricate and sophisticated story. It's more sophisticated than any Hobbit journey or any superhero saga. Notice Flip to the end uh, of Revelation. Notice what kind of world gets produced by God's anger. I didn't see a temple in the city because its temple is the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb. The nations will walk... the Who? The nations, they're, the cities of the nations, the nations will walk by it. its light. And the kings of the, wait a second, they were the ones gathered up at Armageddon. The kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. Its gates will never be shut by day. They will bring the glory and honor of the nations into it. And the angel showed me the river of life, the river of life giving water, shining like crystal, flowing from the throne. And the lamb through the middle of the city's main street on each side of the river is a tree of life which produces 12 crops of fruit bearing its fruit each month. The leaves are for what? The healing of who the nations. The reason these last bowls and particularly the seventh destroys the cities of the nations is so that the nations can be healed. That's the point. God's anger against the kings of the earth who gather at Armageddon against him, for the expre- his anger is for the express purpose of gathering them in to his new world with him. You need to hear this this morning. God's love means that God is for you. God's wrath means God is for you. That's what you're invited to trust this morning. God endlessly, forever, without stop, loves what he made, and that includes you. And he loves this world, he loves you, enough to address the darkness in you. He loves you enough to pour out focused, surgical Hulk-smashing anger against what is killing you. Those areas where you are resisting his love, he will continue to chase you down like the hound of heaven until you yield to his love. And so the question that we're invited to think about this evening, or this morning, I get confused because I preach different places. Um... (laughs) Jesus, what we're inviting you to do this morning is to open our eyes to the places where we have darkness that have gotten its talons, its claws into us. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would come and that we would invite your love into us and that your love would be burning away every bit of beastly territory in us until Only your new world is within our hearts and colonizing our lives and spreading into the world around us. And so we welcome your wrath this morning. We welcome it because we know that your wrath is aimed at the things that are killing us. As best we know how, we invite you to do it to burn away everything that is dark. May the fire of your presence come and burn us into life. We ask and we pray in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen and amen.